Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, we try to finally definitively pin down the best season of all time in Charlotte Hornets history. We check out a Rod Boone article surveying Charlotte Hornets fans. Have a couple more matchups in the greatest Hornets moments of all time bracket and this. The hell is that doing oh, wow. in there? Oh, well, no, hold on. There. He said that about Talk your selection. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. It's been so fun for me to live in nostalgia. I know that we don't have basketball currently going on right now, and I wish we did. I was thinking the other day, just sitting on the couch, how much I would enjoy the postseason just getting ready to start. I love the NBA postseason, but I also have loved the opportunity to go back and live in nostalgia, to do these rewatches that we've been doing most of these Fridays, to kind of look back at the greatest moments of all time. It's been a lot of fun for me, Doug. If you had fun despite the circumstances, I want basketball. If you were to give me the choice, yes, give me basketball over, over no basketball. But it has been fun to use this as an opportunity to go back and look at some of the history, despite it not being all that strong compared to other teams. Well, I think it's funny that uh, it took this uh, pandemic for us to actually do some work on this show, <laughs> mm-hmm. for us to actually do some legwork, you know, in the off season. You know, we would pal around a little bit and figure some things out to do, but we really, we really locked in and tried to provide some content here looking back uh, because everybody's doing it. Now we have competition. Uh, you know, Rod Boone's doing it. Um, you know, Rick Manel's doing it. All these other podcasts and websites are doing it. So now we have to do it hard. And I think we've done a good job. Now, you know, you're generationally, you're probably a, a slight rung below me. So you really, you probably don't remember a time, right, when uh, we didn't have nostalgia completely at our fingertips, you know, when when you could engage with the culture but you could not really look back. You know, I mean, Facebook and social media and all of these things really, I mean, it's, it's all nostalgia. It's all looking back at old photos. It's all memes uh, that we're, we're looking at that were created a long time ago and that get passed around and evolve and different things. But, there, you know, there used to be a time without all that when you, when you really didn't have access to, like, every piece of media ever and you didn't have that nostalgia just shoved down your face all the time. Well, before we got that, I think I would live through it via basketball cards. That's the, that's the channel. You know, it would be basketball cards that I was OCD obsessed, alphabetical order, favorite players via different teams, different categories. I was just straight nerd boy with all my basketball cards that I collected as a kid. Mm, I would go back and look at those um, as I would get older. And that's how I, that's how I scratched the nostalgia itch and Doug, what has been fun I, I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast. It was either a redraftables podcast or a Bill Simmons podcast. And they were talking about Allen Iverson and they were looking, it, w- it was the redraftable. So it would have been that 96 redraftables podcast. And that's one of, if it, it's either that one, that's the best NBA draft of all time with Kobe, Steve Nash, Allen Iverson, Ray Allen. It's either that one or it's 2003 with LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh and those guys. And they were doing the 1996 one and they drafted Kobe Bryant first. 
And then the discussion was to draft, you know, Steve Nash or Allen Iverson, and then even Ray Allen or Allen Iverson, because as much as it is painful to say, if AI was one of your favorite players, there is some revisionist history that says, man, not as good, right. As we've grown fonder of analytics, not as good, but okay. Right. Like I, I'm a, I'm an Allen. Iverson. See, hold on. See the, the well, argument. I, I just want to say this really that. quick. I just, well, because you can't say that because you know that Allen Iverson is one of my favorite hoopers of all time. And I just want to say this. I think that when it comes to analytics, I understand what it means to the game of basketball and how franchises have adopted it in order to uh, be more effective and and win championships. I get all that. But I think where what analytics misses sometimes is that there are players that are good at at you know doing the analytics thing and and winning in the in the construct that we've created of NBA basketball. And then there are just all-time great hoopers, right? I mean, they're just players that play basketball in a way that's like that guy is unstoppable. And to me, Allen Iverson ranks way up there in that category. Guys that could just hoop. I yes. love Allen Iverson in that. One hundred percent agree. I love AI too, and that was the point they were making. Yeah, you know, they did. They were saying Allen Iverson. They they loved him, right? Like Bill Simmons said, anytime he would get these season or when he was ready to say, okay, these are the games I want to go to, he would say, okay, check. I'm going to see Allen Iverson play. Right. That was somebody that means you, something. You need a hundred percent. It absolutely carries. Not only does it carry value, it carries a ton of value in my opinion. But they were just discussing on, you know, okay. It's such a good draft. Who do you select? Allen Iverson, Ray Allen, Steve Nash. I mean, the all-time greats. And it, they were just trying to decipher who they would select in a redraft. But anyways, then they started to go down this path of discussing Allen Iverson all-time playoff moments. And we've kind of relived with that too a little bit here, Doug, and talking about the 01 Charlotte Hornets playoff run. That run that saw the most successful postseason trip for the Charlotte Hornets that was the year that Allen Iverson would make the NBA Finals. They would go and play against the L.A. Lakers, eventually lose after winning only one game. But remember, in the Eastern Conference Finals, they would beat that Milwaukee Bucks team that beat the Charlotte Hornets a series earlier in seven games. And what's funny is that Bill Simmons continues to, discuss, uh, continues to talk about how that Philadelphia team, you know, that was Allen Iverson's playoff run. That was his moment. That's what people think of when they think of the most successful moment and it was really only that when he doesn't have too many and he was using the point that and I don't think the better team won that series I think Milwaukee was kind of the better team in that series and then it leads us to the Hornets right it was a long way but we got here then it leads me to the Hornets it's like man you know here's Bill Simmons and Ryan Rustillo kind of agreeing I mean with the Milwaukee Bucks maybe even being the better team in that series in the Eastern Conference Finals against the 76ers it's like, yeah, maybe the Bucks were the better team in that scenario. Then it's like, but wait a minute. The Hornets were within one game, within a couple of possessions of actually beating the Milwaukee Bucks, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think what it does for me, Doug, is it puts in perspective to me just how damn close the Hornets actually were into not only making the Eastern Conference Finals, but man, absolutely could have flirted with the chance to go to the NBA Finals and get beat by the Lakers, but at least go to the NBA Finals. Yeah, and I think it's the factor that pulls me towards 2000 and 2001 as the best season in franchise history because of just how damn close they were and how elite of a defensive team they were. Their defensive rating that year was 99.5, which was crazy. I mean, if you just look at their franchise index, they didn't crawl below. They, they, since then, they haven't crawled below 100 for a season in defensive rating. It's, it's their greatest defensive season of all time. 
And uh, that's why I think they played so well against Milwaukee. They were able to lock down a, a lot of what Milwaukee wanted to do in that game. Go back and rewatch that game five that, that we watched. And it was Jamal Mashburn on the offensive end because Baron Davis hadn't really grown into that elite offensive player that he became when he went to New Orleans. But Jamal Mashburn was carrying the load offensively for the entire team while the team as a whole played elite defense. And Milwaukee got better as the season went on. The Hornets actually had the the season, regular season matchup three to one. So they matched up well against Milwaukee. They were close. And it kind of pulls me towards that team as best season in franchise history. It's the best season in franchise history. Whoa, right you're just ready me. to make that call. Here's the Boom. one, here's the one that I would give you that that kind of makes me wonder about this. But see, here's the tough thing. Cause I'm thinking about like definitionally, what does it mean to have the best season in franchise history? Doesn't mean best team. Right, that's a completely different discussion. If you want to talk about the talent on the team that the O, uh, the two thousand two thousand one team had versus, I mean, like ninety four ninety five, right? I mean, you had Zoe, you had LJ. They were just in their prime. Uh, they were amazing. Had Michael Jordan not come back and beat them in the first round, they had a legitimate shot, I think, at, at knocking off Orlando and maybe even going to the finals in in the Eastern Conference that year. They won fifty games, um, but I, you know, I look at. I look at another t- – I mean, that – you know, what does it mean? Wins? I mean, 54 wins for that 96-97 team. I really feel like that team, you know, could have done it. 97-98, 51 wins. You are third in your uh, third in your division. I don't know. It's, it's just difficult. But they only won one playoff game in the second round to me. I just I am putting so much weight on how close. <laughs> yeah. I guess. You know, like, I, think it, you're, I think you're right. I mean, it's obviously it's my favorite yeah. team, so I'm not really yeah. arguing with you. I'm just making sure that we're making the sure. right decision here. Sure. No, I, I get it. No, there's a devil's advocate to be played there. I mean, that's an argument that you can say, yeah, 54 wins. That means something. 51. That That's the point I brought up in that rewatch. It's the Hornets like what? They, they won 48 games that year. It, it, it's against probably tougher competition. I just put so much weight in how you perform in the postseason and how much hope you have as a fan watching in real time. And there was a moment the first time in Hornets history that we really thought we had a legitimate chance to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. You can only say that about one team in Hornets history, and it was that 01 Hornets team. No, I, I think you're right. And the, the only thing that's bittersweet about it is that it happens in an era where you're, you're beyond 1999, where it, it just felt like some of the air had been taken out of the balloon a little bit of the Charlotte Hornets. They lost that national appeal. They lost uh, – they, they haven't sold out the Charlotte Coliseum since – I think they stopped the, the sellout stopped in '97, so they haven't. They didn't really recapture that same flame that you had during the LJ uh, Zoe Muggsy era. Uh, but they're still playing really good basketball. And then, of course, the next season that would be their last, and they would play a really weird playoff series against the Nets when they everybody knew they were going uh, to New Orleans, uh, and they lost in the Eastern Conference semis again that year. Um, so just really tough that we, the best season in franchise history happened essentially in a lame duck season for the Charlotte Hornets before they moved to New Orleans, though we talked to Rick Manel yesterday and he said, had they won that series and gone on to the Eastern conference finals and maybe even the finals out of that, it could have completely changed all of the dynamics around that decision. So, and, and and how can you argue with that? Right? Like winning solves everything, including, you know, going to a different city in some cases. Absolutely. I think you absolutely would have thought about it a little bit more. 
rather than just saying, Hey, okay, we're going to pack up and, and move to new Orleans. And I think you absolutely would have had to think about it or reconsider it. Okay. So we've decided, I guess we've decided that 2000, 2001 best season in franchise history. If you agree with us, let us know on Twitter at locked on Hornets. If you disagree with us, let us know on Twitter at locked on Hornets. My final question on this whole thing before we let it go is what do you think? What are the odds the Hornets experience the best season in franchise history in the next five to 10 years? Because I've said over and over that the coolest thing about being a Hornets fan right now is the moment that they make an Eastern Conference Finals becomes the best season in franchise history. Like it's still out in front of us. There are still achievements uh, to be had for this franchise. What do you think, Walker? Odds that it happens in the next five to 10 years. It's what gets me so frustrated when we discuss how good we can feel about this Hornets team right now based off the way that they played because you are in step one of a rebuild. You're in step one of trying to figure out exactly what you have and who are going to be the pillars, the role players, uh, trying to even just see, okay, what kind of talent do we have? What kind of flashes do guys exhibit out there on the court that maybe we need to hold on to? And what do we need to just wash our hands of and say, no, thank you. Let's move on to the next player. And I think that we actually have some hope to graduate to the next stage. Now, PJ Washington, I don't think he's going to be a star. I think you need to be able to create your own shot. And PJ doesn't do that. I really like that's going to be a freezing cold take. I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to, I'm going to pull this tape and make sure that you have to listen to it every year as he ascends to PJ Washington stardom. Here's what I'll say. You cannot put the odds of this happening in the next five to 10 years. You can't even put it at 50 50 unless oh. they have a star on this team. Okay, you can't even put it at a coin flip right now. I would say if I had to pick a percentage gun to my head, you got to go 25%. It's a quarter, I'd, I'd put it at a quarter chance. And I would have put it way lower had Devontae Graham and PJ Washington not played as well. They have some young talent, they have some hope. And if they can get some draft luck, and if Mitch Kupchak can pull some miracles in, in the trade market like he did in Los Angeles later on down the line, and they don't you know, stumble and sign DeMar DeRozan out of nowhere, get out of here, DeRozan, then I put it at 25% right now. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's good to feel good about this team. I mean, we haven't had that feeling in quite some time, even when they were uh, in mediocrity. I don't know if you felt, I mean, at least me, at least I didn't feel as good as I do right now about this team because there's hope for a, a way better tomorrow. When they were mediocre, there wasn't any better hope for a better tomorrow. Now there really is. And I think that's something interesting to discuss when discussing this team. We talked about the best season in Hornets history. We're going to settle on the 2001 season that the Hornets played where they lose the Bucks in the second round. And we had some wonderful seasons. We also have some really wonderful sponsors on the show. But maybe the most special, just like the 01 season, maybe the most special of our sponsors is the Queen City Beauty Group. And it, they are so special because they are local. And we have to support our local businesses in any way we can right now. We've told you over the weeks how amazing they are. Michelle Mosley is an award-winning esthetician. They do custom skin treatments. They have an acne clinic. It's like no other spa in Charlotte. Michelle Mosley is fantastic. I told you guys that she even follows up with you to make sure that you're okay. She makes sure that she caters um, a lot of her treatments to you, the individual, and she makes sure afterwards that she follows up and makes sure that you are absolutely okay. They are rolling out a virtual consultation for remote clients, and we'll be telling you more about that soon if you're interested. If you can't pay them a visit this week, of course, and you can't pay them a visit as time goes on and we're still in these times of the coronavirus, make sure you consider an e-gift card to use later. For the month of April, Queen City Beauty Group is offering e-gift cards for 30%. Redeemable for future services. Gift cards are available in custom amounts from $35 all the way up 
to $1,000. That's all at a 30% savings. To take advantage of the special, go to www.queencitybeautygroup.com. You can click shop at the top of the page and e-gift cards on the top of the next page. Remember, in times like these, small businesses need your support more than ever. Queen City Beauty Group appreciates your support and your support of the Locked On Podcast Network. Queen City Beauty Group, skin care for all. Plenty more to come here on the Locked On Hornets Podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. Develop winning habits. You know what winning habits are? Scoring things in the box score. That's what winning habits are. You compete. Rebounds, when you, assists. Yeah, when you compete, points. you get rebounds. When you compete, you get assists. When you compete, you score points. It's not you about effort. The it's about competing. <laughs> hey, you want to be back on the show, baby. I got you, Doug. You want to be back on the show. This is me. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I appreciate everybody's best efforts to pump out content in a time like this. Rod Boone going noticed as well. Rod Boone of The Athletic putting out an article just about how every Hornet fan feels, the true feelings. The curtain is peeled back to reveal how you truly feel about MJ and the future of this Hornets team. He released a survey that he put out there, I believe, on Twitter. Survey says he has results. So one question, how long have you been a fan of the Charlotte Hornets? Just getting to know you a little bit. It's the early questions of the survey, just trying to fill you out what you're, what you exactly kind of person you are. And 43% Doug actually said that they were a Hornets fan for 21 years or more. So long long time. Yeah. A long time. 300 Um, people in this survey, by the way, N equals 300. What is your level of satisfaction in rooting for the Hornets now? Um, Resigned is 36.6% and hopeful is at 47.2. So hopeful that is the dominant portion on the circle on the uh, pie chart that he has. For yeah. Us, and right? if you combined uh, hopeful and content, you get over 50%. So 50% of those polled uh, had some positive feeling about the direction of the franchise. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, the young players played well this season and they executed the plan like they wanted to execute the plan. And some of these veterans that uh, we are not so affectionate towards anymore have gone to the bench or have gone away completely. Uh, I think the 36.6% that are resigned still understand, like me, they're, they're probably like me. I would probably be resigned right now because I'm like, ah, I just want to make sure I'm still worried that they may do something weird and take the this this rebuild off track. So I think that's where a lot of those fans are. How do you view the current state of the Hornets? Optimistic wins out overwhelmingly so at 50.3%. Neutral and pessimistic almost are split. Pessimistic is 26.2% and neutral is 23.5%. So almost three-fourths, Doug, are either optimistic or neutral right now, which I think is pretty good. I mean, I don't know if you can say that in most years about the Charlotte Hornets, certainly here um, recently. The next question, when do you think the Hornets will make the playoffs again? 2023 or later is the winner, and that's straight up 50%, right on the dot. 2022 takes up a remaining 41.1%, and 2021 actually takes up 8.9%. So most people think this is still going to be a little bit longer of a time before they make the postseason. I mean, I hope so. I mean, I hope they they take their time with this rebuild. I mean, next year is going to be weird because, you know, free agency, all of this stuff's going to be impacted by the coronavirus. So I, I don't see them being really any different structurally other than the some of the money coming off the books. I don't see them structurally being much different next season. So I don't think there's any chance they make the playoffs in 2021. Uh, 2022, uh, maybe. I mean, some things would, a lot of things would have to go really right. And, and you'd have to see some 
exponential acceleration of growth from P.J. Washington, Devontae Graham, and uh, even Terry Rozier, uh, I would be in the 2023 camp or later. Do you think Michael Jordan has been a good owner? Uh, good owner. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, 53.5% say no. <laughs> Straight up. Nope. He's been a bad one. Um, not sure. Comes in at 30.7%. And yes, people that do think Michael Jordan has been a good owner, it's only a 15.8%. Uh, look, I mean, you don't, you know, you only make the playoffs once. You don't get out of the, well, I mean, as the Hornets, you've only made the playoffs once and you didn't get out of the first round. I mean, yeah, your approval rating is going to be underwater. I just don't, I don't, I don't see any way around it. Maybe some narrative factors play into this uh, as well. Uh, reputation precedes him. Um, but at the same time, you know, Clifford would always say it. Steve Clifford would always say it. This this is about results, baby. And the results haven't been there. And I'm surprised it wasn't lower, to be honest. I am too. Uh, what is your confidence level in GM Mitch Kupchak? How about this? Uh, it is separated into categories of high, somewhat positive, somewhat negative, or low in your regard in regards to your confidence level in Mitch Kupchak. And 61.7% comes in as the winner for somewhat positive, Doug, at 61.7. Low is at 10.6. Uh, somewhat positive, like, uh, excuse me, I, I should say high is 13.9 and uh, somewhat negative is at 13.9. I jumped all over the pie chart right there. So I apologize. <laughs> um, but, but here's what, here's what you should somewhat know. Positive is the overwhelming winner. Here. Yeah. Well, and, and if you combine somewhat positive and high, so who has a positive view of Mitch Kupchak right now, it's 75% of the people that's polled. And I think that's pretty accurate to the fan base right now. They don't trust Michael Jordan. They do trust Mitch Kupchak because he has nailed some of these uh, first round and second round selections results. How about this one? Do you trust the front office to run the franchise? Well, moving forward, you basically can just split this thing up. 33.3% apiece. Uh, if you were to be detailed on this, 34.7% says yes. 32.7% says no. 32.7% says not sure. So basically very evenly split. One third goes to each of those categories. Um, man, this is a long survey. So, Doug, do I? Do you yeah, want to keep- let's 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 kind of bounce around here. I mean, if you want to go, definitely go read the whole thing uh, at theathletic.com. Rod Boone's doing a great job right now. He's got your tattoo content covered, cornered. He's. I like tattoo content. It reminds me back of a Sports Illustrated article I read when we had uh, they featured all the Detroit Pistons and their tattoos, and I loved those tattoos from Bill Lips and Ben Wallace and Rashid Wallace. They were great. Uh, so I think uh, the big deal here is that do you have season tickets for the 2019-2020 season? Uh, no, it's overwhelmingly no of the 300 people. And of those oh, that God, yeah. the, of those that did, uh, a lot of them don't plan on renewing. I think it's a big problem for the Hornets franchise that they've mm-hmm. got to figure out. But I will say that it's not only a problem for the Hornets franchise. I really wonder what this whole thing is going to do to the idea of owning season tickets. It's a huge investment. Going to the arena, is that going to take – as big a priority for certain fans as it did pre-virus. Uh, I think that's going – it may not have a huge long-term effect, but I think in the short term it's going to be a problem uh, generating revenue for a lot of teams. Any other pie charts that you see on here that's interesting? The jersey one. you see this jersey one? I didn't see the jersey one. Real quickly, the, the one that I, I think interests me as much as any is you're, you're going down maybe just a couple questions here. But here's another problem, Doug. It's how many of the Hornets 31 home games did you attend this season? How about almost 50% saying zero? They did not attend one home game. That's uh, 47 and I a half. I watched these games on TV. Can confirm. Yeah, I saw the I mean, crowds. 100%. I'm not surprised, I guess. And only one to five. Uh, it, it comes at 40.6. So you're talking about people that went to five games or fewer 
uh, making up almost 90% of this pie chart. I, you know, it's unfortunate. I, they have to win. You're right. It's results-based. And until they start winning some games, they're not going to see a, a real big change in that. Let's slide on down to these mock draft pie charts. Essentially, he asked both uh, if the Hornets win the lottery, who would you be most excited about them selecting? And if they end up selecting in the six to eight range right now, if the if the season does not resume, it, it appears they would select eight if they don't win the lottery. Um, so in the six to eight range, uh, it's all over the place. 27.9% would like to see them select Denny Avadia uh, out of Maccabi Tel Aviv. That's probably he's probably not going to fall to eight. So let's let's uh, can that. Cole Anthony at twenty three point nine percent. Not surprising. The UNC product uh, that could be a possibility at eight. And then twenty percent Onyeka Okongwu, who's getting a lot of love right now. I could see him being a draft riser. But if he is available at eight, twenty percent of fans would like to see that. And then uh, if they win the lottery, this is kind of surprising. Forty percent want to see James Wiseman as the number one overall selection, the center kind of out of Memphis. Yeah, I think that's kind of niche NBA Twitter that doesn't like James Wiseman. I think most people that are featured in this poll probably do want James Wiseman. Like, oh, that's a name. You know what I'm saying? Like most people that have kind of looked at him, they are the ones that are out on this, but I'm actually not surprised if you consider the group that's measured. Well, and if he is going to go number one overall, it's either going to be to the Hornets, the Cavs, or the Warriors. I mean, those are your three you know, top uh, destinations when you're talking about need for center. So it, it makes some sense. Uh, not a lot of people loving LaMelo ball. He would definitely be the, the pick uh, that would be the most divisive. I think if the Hornets did select him with the one, two or three pick. Uh, Got to have a huge, heavy influence from LeVar Ball. I do want to yeah. get to the jersey pie chart that you mentioned, Doug. I am a little surprised at that, just at how overwhelming Devontae Graham's numbers come in. If you could buy the jersey of one current player, who would it be? Devontae Graham comes in at 54%. I thought he would win. It's the point guard. Everybody likes the little guy that Devontae Graham and the exciting player shooting from deep. That's a lot of fun. But 54%, Miles Bridges coming in at 21%, and P.J. Washington, your boy, coming in at 16%. So a little surprising to me. I don't think it's surprising at all because Devontae Graham is, to me, again, this is going back to the reason that I put Muggsy blocking Ewing in our greatest moments bracket because I think Charlotte always sees itself as an underdog and always sees itself as the little guy. Uh, And so they love these kind of stories. Devontae Graham, a a small point guard, not a lot was expected of him, and he's fighting hard, same as Kimba. I mean, that's why we gravitated towards Kimba. And I think Devontae, even though Terry was brought in to, quote, replace Kemba, unquote, when he really wasn't. But um, even though that... I got to run the quotes, yeah. You got to do the quotes. But even though Terry Rozier replaces Kimba technically it's really Devonte Graham narratively that has replaced Kimba on this team if he continues to grow I like how the rest of our shows during the coronavirus times are going to be basically you vindicating your choice of putting the Muggsy <laughs> Bogues blocking Patrick Ewing working out. into every show you're going to defend yourself every show now that Rick Bennell came at you and said what the hell is that doing well, in there uh, well, no, hold on. There. he said that about Talk your selection he said that about your selection Space Jam he was more upset with Space Jam I think he said that about both. I don't know how much more, but the thing is, I think you feel a little hurt by Space Jam too because you were all with it when I asked you about Space Jam being a one seed. I stand by Space Jam, Doug. We can agree on that. The aliens, man, they deserve to be in there. 
Alien Muggsy and Alien Larry Johnson deserve to be in the number one. I want to know. They also did a who is your all-time favorite Hornets player, and it looks like this was a submission maybe. You could submit anybody. It wasn't uh, limited to five or six players. I want to meet the person whose favorite all-time Hornet was Dave Hoppen. I need to meet that. It has to be Dave Hoppen, right? Like Dave Hoppen took this survey. It was like, listen, I can't not select myself. He subscribes to the athletic. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. What about the Boris Diaw vote that comes in? That's fine. I, hey, I, you know, I respect that because Boris Diaw like started several restaurants, uh, franchises in, and so he was a businessman and he supported the local economy. So I'm totally okay with Boris Diaw, not fat Boris Diaw, but Boris Diaw being the selection there. I do want to talk about the the favorite player of all time um, on the the Hornets roster, whoever played for this franchise. I do feel somewhat vindicated in my own right in putting some of the players where I did in my top 30 players list. And it's always like the number one regret I've had. It's it's putting Alonzo Mourning ahead of Larry because I will admit that was a little hypocritical and inconsistent because I was trying to balance what means more to the people, just their narrative what they meant culturally to the Charlotte Hornets and who was the best player. And I was trying to find a gauge and figure out exactly factors. And Larry Johnson was not nearly as, you know, bad enough to put behind Zoe. People really don't like Zoe. And I guess I did not account for that as much because of the way that he, we, we revealed, that. we revealed why, because he yeah. basically broke up with Charlotte. He was like, yeah, it's, I understand that. it's not me. It's you. <laughs> you know, and That's he, what yeah. Alonzo said to Charlotte. that like, you don't have the luxury boxes. You don't have Miami beach. You don't have Pat Riley. I'm out of here. Yeah. And I, and I did not account for that nearly as much. And it's funny because one of the biggest regrets I have is a guy that's ranked one spot ahead, but I think it's pretty clear. Like Larry Johnson, he means more to the Hornets and I should have put him ahead of Alonzo, but I had Zoe two and I had Larry Johnson three on the list, but Muggsy come in. Like I got some flack for Muggsy being so high on the list because people like to say, Oh, he's so overrated. You know, everybody only loves, loves him because he's five, three. Okay. So be it. That's a factor. And he was actually pretty good. He's third on this list behind Kimba Walker and Larry Johnson. Dale Curry deserves to be up there, even though he's a six man kind of guy then comes in Zoe. And I was even looking at some of the numbers for Baron Doug, he did like it. people loved Baron Davis. And it's not like he was, crazy good for the Hornets. If you look at his numbers in his time, he was, he was doing some amazing things. He was showing you glimpses. It was, it's a lot like, you know, if Devante continues his ascent, uh, gradual, you know, gradually gets better next season and then leaves. That would be, I mean, you, you saw flashes from B Diddy of like, Oh, this guy could do something. And then he, he ends up going and doing those things for, for new Orleans and then golden state. It's funny to hear Dwayne Wade, like when people are asked who was the toughest guy for you to guard, Dwayne Wade says Baron Davis and Steve Nash said like guarding Baron Davis, that was hell he was for beefy. both of those guys. He was beefy. Yeah, he, could, so he could dunk the hell out of the ball mm-hmm. and he could knock down shots. I mean, he was, he was a triple threat point guard in an era where they're, I mean, now we take it for granted because it seems like every point guard could so- score at all three levels and pass. But that just wasn't what a point guard did necessarily back then all the time. I'd be interested in Baron Davis in today's day and age if he would have gotten better at shooting. Like his shooting numbers aren't good. He's not a great three point shooter by any stretch. No, not for well, for that era he wasn't bad. But yes, for now, like it would it'd be tough. Yeah, I just wonder how how much better he could have gotten because he was a good facilitator and he was a bull. And I it's funny to see some of the guys talk about, yeah, Baron Davis. 
he was hell to guard. All right, we've already taken way too if long. If you voted for Dave Hoppin, tweet us <laughs> at Locked On Hornet. I will bring you on the show. Leave I must know there. if this was a troll vote or if you really just respect Dave Hoppin. I'm going to look up some Dave Hoppin stats over the break. Uh, that's amazing. I love that. I want a Charlotte Hornet beer. I want a Dave Hoppin, H-O-P-P-I-N beer. Dave Hoopin. Dave Hoopin. Hooping. We could just leave that. We, I want Charlotte Hornet beers. We're in the coronavirus times. We can do that on another show. We have to get to more important stuff like the bracket on the show. Like that was supposed to be the main feature and we still haven't gotten to well, it's it. It's a great, it's a great transition because Dave Hoppin played for the, the 88 Hornets, the, the inaugural Hornets, and they are featured in our greatest moments bracket uh, coming up. All right. It's the bracket coming up in the last segment of today's episode of the lockdown Hornets podcast. Unless you're a fan of esports, you know that sports, as we traditionally know them, have come to a screeching halt. You've got basketball benched, you've got pitchers off the mound, but our friends at MyBookie are not going to let you down. Stay sane, stay entertained with access to your favorite games like blackjack, roulette, slots, war, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're out on the front lines or you're quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to come to an end if you've got MyBookie.ag. If video poker's not your thing, that's totally cool. They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right. They have professional dealers at their tables, live on site, 24-7. You can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They are reliable. They're upright. And best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit, and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA, all one word. Smush it together. You spin, you win, you get paid. This is Locked on Hornets. Then I clicked on M. Thomas. I'm like, who in the hell is M. Thomas? Matt Thomas is oh, his name. Oh, NBA legend, Matty Thomas. <laughs> he, he, Matt he Thomas. Didn't play at all. I'm pretty sure Matt Thomas <laughs> served me at an Applebee's the other day. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. You want some Dave Hoopin stats? <laughs> I do. Yes, I, I, did not, I did not know that I wanted some Dave Hoopin stats. I absolutely need Dave Hoopin stats. Uh, David Dirk Hoppen uh, out of Nebraska played two seasons for the Charlotte Hornets, the 88-89 initial inaugural season and 89-90. He played the center position, if you don't remember. In that inaugural season, he played in 77 I games. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I don't either. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, I was one year old when they, when they uh, started hooping with Hoppen. Uh, 36 games he started, 18 minutes a game. He had a 56.4% field goal percentage, and he had 6.5 points per game and five rebounds per game on the season. All right, there's your Dave Hoppin stats. I'm going to continue to do that. Look at random Hornets and fall upon our next Matt Geiger that we like to talk about for no apparent reason whatsoever. Let's get to the bracket. We've wasted enough time in the first two segments. Let's get to the bracket now. The greatest moments in Charlotte Hornets history tournament. We will now get to region two, and it's the Hornets debut region, Doug. The Hornets debut in 1988. It's a one seed. It's going to be tough to beat the debut of the team. Because without this, there are no other moments. And so it's always going to be hard to beat that that starts all of this. 
No so, other moment. No other moment can come before the first. Uh, it quite literally. It, there is nothing that literally can mean as much as the debut because nothing else happens without that. But so be it. Maybe you found something that is a little bit more enjoyable that's happened since then, and maybe it's this matchup that it has in the first round. The Hornets' debut in 1988, we put as a one seed as the uh, one of the best moments of all time, and the four seed in this region. It's the Courtney Lee shot, and it's going to lose, in my opinion. Um, Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Maybe you love the Courtney Lee shot like I did. I hate that it is probably going to have a first-round exit, Doug, because I do think this is an important shot. We're not dealing with too many postseason appearances here. It was the first postseason appearance that the Charlotte Hornets had um, where they actually were going to compete as a Hornets team, right? Like, it's a team that went toe-to-toe with Dwayne Wade, a star in the NBA, and it went to game seven and they even had a series lead because of what Courtney Lee was able to do. It's, it's a significant moment to me. Maybe four is a little low for that in my opinion, but it, it clearly to me, I, I look, I don't want to, I don't want to put my impression on the listeners here. I know you were wary about that last time, but the 1988 debut, if, if you're going to count that, it's going to be tough to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely drew the toughest matchup, but that's the game, baby. Uh, both of these things were highly improbable. That's right. Yeah, blame the committee. Don't blame don't blame Courtney Lee or 88. Um, I want to read an article here. This is from the, uh, let's see, October 15th, 1988. New York Times wrote an article about Charlotte buzzing over the Hornets. And, and this just sort of outlines how improbable it was for the Charlotte Hornets to even get, or Charlotte, to get an NBA franchise. It says, George Shin is a self-made millionaire and had no trouble putting together $32.5 million for an NBA expansion team. But the task was to convince the NBA owners that Charlotte, North Carolina, with a population of only 350,000 people, could support mm-hmm. a team. Now, you know Charlotte today is a city uh, of millions, Walker. Uh, but back then in 88, only 350,000 people. And I would venture to say that it was a city not like today where you have a lot of transplants, a lot of people from New Jersey and California and all these different places that they're coming to Charlotte to work and some of the tech sector that they have set up there now and uh, some of the great uh, medical facilities that they have there now. But, you know, back then they didn't have all of that. And it was 350,000, probably mostly, uh, you know, Charlotteans from, from the jump. And they had to convince the NBA that they could support a team and and ultimately Shen did. I think the 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 play in sports that every kid dreams about, it's hitting a buzzer beating shot in the national championship game. And I think when we think about plays that go further down from that, that you know, as as soon as we start to go down the tree of best moments that you can possibly envision yourself in. You know, you start in the Eastern Conference, Western Conference finals, some buzzer beating, series clinching shots, right? And then we continue to go down and down and down and down. It's all about the buzzer beaters, right? It's one of the more exciting plays in all of sports and certainly in basketball with the slam dunk. But as far as meaning the outcome, the difference in meaning of the outcome of a game, Courtney Lee, you know, has not a buzzer beating shot, but it's the go ahead shot that helps them win a game in a postseason series. My point being is that we have Alonzo Mornings, number one overall seed in that regard, where it's close to a buzzer beater, winning a series. And Doug, how many more shots do we have like that? Like how many more singular important shots do we have in Charlotte Hornets history? If you're to dwindle it down to one attempt from the field, Courtney Lee is up there. And it's funny because you think about this, it's like it happened so recent. They lost that first round series. 
but I can't put it up against any other shot besides Alonzo, which it clearly loses to Troy Daniels, Miracle After Midnight. I mean, you've got <laughs> uh, the several shots that Bismack Biombo converted while hitting a Euro step. I think we have to put those in. Of course, I mean, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Lord Byron Mullins' dunk oh, over Lamarcus Aldridge. I mean, that was a uh, franchise-defining moment, in my opinion. Um, but uh, all you, know, fair you, points. you overruled me and did not allow its um, inclusion into this tournament. Uh, I'll just say that. All fair points. But I think My you're right. Be. I think game-winning shots, you know, we only have a few to really think about. Uh, I, I think about Baron Davis with 0.3 seconds left on the clock, or excuse me, 0.5 seconds left on the clock against Orlando in a first-round matchup, uh, trying to win the game outright. The game was tied in regulation. And uh, he makes the shot, but they call it off because they thought you couldn't, catch and shoot with 0.5 or less and he did it and he proved everybody wrong and they had to change the rule um so i think about that one and they went on to win that game in overtime but you're right i think that's true but i'll say this uh you know the debut was special the the charlotte coliseum was special i love this quote from george shin in the, this new york times article if the hornets win 20 of their 82 games dick harder the the inaugural coach should be named the coach of the year well guess how many games they won that season 20 they were 20 and 62 uh, that season dick harder did not win spoiler alert he did not win coach of the year what was the number you said that he pitched in to get the hornets here to charlotte what was that 32.5 million dollars a drop in the bucket i think the franchise is worth close to a billion so so that's a player salary for that's a, that's a max year salary now close like I mean, yeah i mean they're close to a nick batum salary for yeah, sure 100 yeah 26 yeah nick batum could play two years here and and buy the hornets if he goes back in time and purchases it on the call in 1988 on television wccb gary sparber and mike pratt on the call the radio call you'll know some of these names on wbt steve martin the legend and gil mcgregor excellent names the next matchup in this region, the two seed versus the three seed. Going to be an interesting one. The two seed, it's Kimba's all-star game start, his all-star game here in Charlotte. It's the first time he ever started amongst the best stars in all of our uh, association, and it just so happened to be in our home city. Very cool moment for me. I think a very cool moment for Charlotte, not only because Kimba was represented well, but because I think the city did a really good job. It wasn't very good weather that week, but they did a really good job in hosting it. They got really good reviews. What do you mean? The it's just, weather? It's that, just a random, random weather comment. Yeah, it was a little cloudy, uh, but they, you know, overall they did a great job. Yeah, but Charlotte couldn't help that. So I thought they did a good job. I thought that was a two seed. Uh, that was one of my choices. I think it means a lot. I do like this Glenn Rice's all-star game MVP moment as well. That's the three seed in this region. And this is going to be a tough matchup. He still has the record. He's tied now with Anthony Davis, but he's tied for the record with the most points scored in a quarter in an all-star game. And he was able to win this MVP. And I remember watching as a kid, I think, uh, you know, some of the highlights like the seasons, the season synopsis that they put together in a video. And I think they, a coach was going to take Glenn Rice out and somebody's like, hey, coach, Glenn Rice has a chance to break the, the record in the all-star game for most points in a quarter. And then he left Glenn Rice in there and he was able to do it before, of course, Anthony Davis was able to do it later on. I love this matchup, Doug, and I'm going to pick Kemba's all-star game start here in Charlotte. I think that was a really mm -hmm. cool moment, especially with the way that he leaves the immediate, uh, the, the following season. You know, he, he's gone. That was our last 
really cool, recognizable moment here with Kimba being in Charlotte. And I'm going to go with that. But I mean, man, I, I love Glenn Rice's all-star game MVP, especially with the way that he was able to perform in his time here. I get why you would make that selection, and I think it's going to win because you you just heard it in the last segment. It's overwhelming. Uh, the the all time favorite Charlotte Hornet is Kimba Walker by by a wide margin in that poll that Rod Boone did for the Athletic. So I I think that's going to win, but I will make an argument against it and for Glenn Rice's All Star Game MVP. Uh, my first argument is going to be for Glenn Rice's All Star Game MVP. The, the image of him lifting the trophy as a Charlotte Hornet on a national stage on an, uh, amongst all the other NBA greats, I think is, a, is a, re- a particularly special moment for, again, a franchise in a city that is, is not accustomed to that national attention. To trophy holding, yes. We, we're not to, to any hardware, exactly. To trophy holding in general. So I think that's a, that's a cool thing. That's a special thing that may be above just starting. I'll also say this. Kimba in that start was two of eight from the field. And he wasn't, of, good. <laughs> he wasn't good. And 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 more importantly, not not even that he wasn't good. It's that even in all of his all-star games, you got the sense that it was special to him to be selected. Uh, Kimba was ultra competitive when it came to regular season games. And, you know, in that playoff series, he was ultra competitive. I, I would never question the man's competitiveness when it came to games that mattered. But he didn't have that crazy gene that some other players had that, that was like, I'm going to be competitive literally in everything that I do around basketball, the Kobe ethos, essentially. Kimba didn't have that, and it was clear when he, when he was in these all-star games, he totally was a wallflower and fell back into the shadows. And so I think if you're just putting these two together against one another, I got to go Glenn Rice just saying, hey, I'm awesome, and I'm going to dominate this game. Yeah, I don't know, but is it, but to me, it's, it's, he's awesome in the, we'll go back to the Chris Middleton in Charlotte performance where he just throws up a couple threes, they go in and all of a sudden, Hey, he's in the, he's in the running for all-star game MVP. Like, it's not like he was going Kobe Mamba mentality and taking it to him. It's just like, Hey, here's some shots. Oh, they went in sweet, man. Give me the trophy. And that's how these things go. You know, it's Glenn not like, was, Glenn, you know, you, like Glenn was dominant, my friend. I mean, he, he was Mamba mentality and he, and honestly, he held a lot of the sort of scoring record for Charlotte for a long time, except the all-time, but he had a lot of the 40-point, 30-point game records. I mean, he when he turned it on, boy, uh, of Charlotte Hornets and uh, of historical Charlotte Hornets, I mean, he could turn it on like no other. Oh, pe- people need to go back on a national scale. Hey, national audience, national listeners tuning in, go back and look at Glenn Rice's numbers for Charlotte. Just stupid, dumb, crazy. The shooting, not, the numbers are absolutely insane. Go check them out. One thing I'll say real quickly about Kimba once again, being in the arena when Kimba's name was announced, goosebumpy. When Kimba's name was announced and he goes out onto the court as a starter, crazy. Awesome moment. I will have that moving on, but we will leave it up to you as the listeners of this podcast. We always appreciate you joining us. And uh, yeah, go to Twitter, twitter.com uh, slash locked on Hornets. Follow us there. And both of these will be up as, as polls so you can vote, and then on uh, next Monday show, we will reveal who moves on. Of course, if you don't remember who won the first matchup, it's Alonzo Morning shot versus Hornets return comeback in Region 1. That will be the next matchup, but you can determine who faces off in this region. I'll put those polls up on Twitter, at Lockdown Hornets.
Yeah, excited to see that two three matchup between Kemba's All Star Game start and Glenn and Glenn Rice's All Star Game MVP. All right, that'll do it. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Hornets. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NBA. Have a great day, and we'll be back with you on Friday.